This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and an organization called Disciple First hosted a track called Invest in a Few, How to Raise Up Reproducible Disciple Makers. So that's where the audio for today's episode was recorded. And I want to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing in a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. That's one word, just discipleship.org slash disciple first. And now for the track session. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? All right. Bright and early. Hey, I had nothing to do with the 815 start time. All right. I just show up. They just tell me when to come. So uh, but you are here and thank you for being here and being a part. Um, man, we're, we're excited about talking about disciple making and hopefully uh, many most of you have been a part of the earlier sessions that hopefully they've been helpful to you. Uh, of course, we're around all day today, so if you want to have sidebar conversations, that's what we're here to do, is just to help you any way we possibly can. And again, we're not experts, we're, we're just figuring it out like everybody else, but uh, happy to, to visit with you. Uh, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to start us off in a word of prayer, and then um, we're going to launch into our third session, uh, which is going to be about character development. How do you develop character in the context of a disciple-making group. Uh, but uh, let's pray together, all right? Father, we just love you so much, and we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for uh, those that have invested in our life. And Lord, we are so grateful because we are standing on the shoulders of godly men and women who have gone before us, who have cleared a path, that have walked with you faithfully, and have invested in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do the same for those that will come after us. Lord, that we would walk with you, we would reach the world around us, and we would invest in a few. And so, Lord, I I thank you for today, the opportunity of it. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit and move in our hearts, God. Uh, Sharpen us so that we can be effective for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a very quick little, very brief review of where we've been up to this point. So that if you're new coming in, you're kind of caught up to speed. And if you've forgotten anything from yesterday, you know, go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then I'm going to pitch it over to Glenn Underhill. Glenn Underhill is going to be our, our main speaker today. Glenn is going to be talking about... Uh, character development in the life of your group. Glenn and I have been dear friends for a long time, 20 years probably now. Gosh, you're getting old. Uh, 20 years, and uh, I, Glenn and I have served together in three different churches, and he is now at Crossroads Church in Noonan, Georgia, as the executive pastor there, uh, proven disciple maker, and uh, so you're going to be excited to hear from Glenn uh, today. But let me set a little context. Oh, our, our markers are gone. Brother Ed, do we have markers around here? 
Are they somewhere that I'm not seeing it? Oh, they're on the podium. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look on the podium. <laughs> Durr. All right. There we go. I'm awake. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So what we talked about is the Matthew 28 passage basically gives you the product, which is a disciple. And we define a disciple. Our, our definition of 3D disciple is one that was uh, devoted to Christ, that was developing in two areas, character and competency. And last time I talked about competency, I'll come back to that, and then they are deployed uh, into the mission of Jesus. So that is, that is the, uh, that's what the product, that's what we're trying to produce, right? That's what we're working to try to produce. Do you have people like that in your church? Have you seen people that you can say, yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect, nobody's arrived. Even the Apostle Paul said, not that I have arrived, but I forget what's behind, I press on. But you can generally say, okay, these people have got, you know, they're basically, they're developing in these areas. They're definitely in the game as far as reaching people with the gospel or investing in others. So that's the product that Jesus uh, asked us to produce. Then he also gives us this process. And uh, we looked at that process as go, uh, baptize. This is right out of Matthew 28. Teach, uh, teach obedience. I'm going to put obey there. And then to multiply. And we, we basically came back and said that this is a person that's exploring the claims of Christ. Uh, here's a person that connects with believers. I'm going really fast because we've covered all this already. Uh, and then this is the growth phase, this is a training phase, and then ultimately this is the multiplication uh, phase here. And uh, this is when a person crosses the faith line. And so the goal basically is to try to move people through these phases. And so when, as we've talked about invest uh, uh, in a few, what this whole seminar is about, this track is about, is really focusing in on this phase right here. How do we invest in people and train them for multiplication? How do we do that? And so uh, last, uh, yesterday, we talked quite a bit about the environments of groups, why groups are important, what you're trying to accomplish in those groups. Uh, we talked extensively um, about um, uh, how those groups should function, the four things you can do uh, in those groups to make a powerful impact. We talked about that. But there are two things you're trying to accomplish in this setting. You're trying to develop these two elements. You are training them in character and you're training them in competencies. In other words, they need to be competent to be able to do certain things to reproduce. And uh, if you recall last uh, time, I said there are three basic competencies they need to know. They need to know how to walk with God. They need to know how to reach their world, and they need to know how to invest in a few. They need to know those three things. And I called them buckets because there are lots of things within each one. Uh, uh, walk with God, prayer, Bible study, scripture memorization, uh, dealing with uh, failures, uh, forgiveness. You know, these basic things of how to walk with God. And then reach your world, how to start spiritual conversations, how to share your faith how to communicate the gospel, how to think like a missionary uh, where you are, and then invest in a few. You know, how do, I, how do I invest, how do I disciple somebody else? 
Uh, how do I select that person? What do I do when I gather them together? That type of thing. And so we said these are the core competencies that a person needs to multiply. You remove any of those, and they really don't know how to multiply. Okay? So that's what we talked about last week. Or last week. Yesterday. All right? That's what we did. It felt like last week, right? We covered a lot of ground yesterday. Uh, Yesterday, we covered the competency part, okay? Uh, Today, we're talking about the character part. So if we're trying to develop character and competency, so how do we develop Christ-like character in the heart of the person? Competency is what they do on the outside. Character is who they are on the inside, okay? So that's where we are today. And uh, Glenn Underhill is going to come and share with us. So come give Glenn a big, uh, big hand, all right? He said take off the lanyard. Okay. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it's really good to be with you and uh, so excited to be, be here in Tennessee. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I like Tennessee. It's a great place. Cool weather. And uh, it's a little bit of a change of pace from where I am in, in South Atlanta. So uh, I, uh, I'm just real anxious and excited to be with you. thought I might just take a moment of time just to kind of fill you in with who I am so you can get a little context of what I do and what's going on. Uh, so I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a father of four kids. Uh, I have two teenage boys and uh, one's a junior in high school. And I have a freshman, and then I have two girls, two boys, two girls. So we went from high energy to uh, lots of emotion in our house. And I've got a middle school daughter, and I'm living the dream, as you can tell, middle school and high school. And, uh, and then I have an elementary daughter. Uh, and then I've been married 24 years. I've been in ministry 25, full-time ministry 25 years. And uh, I have, uh, right now, I have the privilege of uh, serving as the executive pastor at Crossroads Church in Noonan, Georgia. And so it's easier just to tell people I'm in South Atlanta. Uh, but uh, it's a, been a, tw- a church that was built 28 years ago. It was a church plant. Uh, and, uh, and so our senior pastor, my boss, Ken Adams, has been the founding pastor, been there all 28 years. And uh, the exciting thing about this is that 28 years ago, he started with the premise of this mission to be and build disciples of Jesus Christ. And today, we have about 3,000 on a weekend experience over uh, three campuses. We've planted 15 churches. Uh, We've uh, had those churches plant other churches. In fact, we just launched a a great-granddaughter church uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, And so, exciting things. Uh, And uh, I... I serve on the board at First Disciple First, and more importantly, uh, I'm a passionate disciple maker. You take away what I do for a living vocationally, and I'm going to continue to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, it's what I bleed, uh, and my heart is also to help churches uh, in this whole endeavor of thinking about what it looks like to move and transition. So Craig and I have been together uh, for 16, we were together 16 years, and in those 16 years, we had the privilege of helping to transition two churches towards becoming disciple-making churches. 
Uh, and so we're just really, really passionate about it. And, uh, and it's a real joy because uh, what you may not know is that the guy that's sitting over here to my left, this is Zach, uh, is one of my early disciples back when I started at First Colleyville. We were, in fact, we were laughing about it this morning, 10 years ago when he was 28. He was really young back then, and so was I. Uh, and uh, when he was 28, started pouring into Zach's life. And, uh, and then one of his disciples, who's also on our team, Disciple First, Ben, who's in the back. Ben, wave your hand. Uh, so I want you to know it works. It really works when we pour our lives into people and we challenge them to live and do what Jesus did. And, uh, and they were men in the business field, and then God's kind of called them up to something different and more unique, and, and so we're, we're excited. So we're going to be talking about this whole idea of character and it's kind of a, it's not the most easiest thing to discuss because, you know, competencies are, are kind of on the outward side. But when we talk about how do you develop character, uh, it can be, a, it can be a, a, a very different challenge uh, as you think about when you're investing in your disciples and you're thinking about how do I help move them from being untrained to becoming fully trained disciples. And so what I hope to accomplish in our time this morning, really is these three things. I want to really talk about this whole idea of why character building really matters. Uh, We just recently were partnering with a ministry where that ministry leader has just recently been caught in a prostitution ring. Looks really good on the outside, like lots of great things happening on the outside, but there was a crumble on the character end. So why does it matter? Why does helping develop character in your disciples really matter? Uh, second thing we want to talk about is what are the catalysts for shaping Christ-like character? Can you hear me just as well if I don't? Yeah. This, I'm going to take this down. Uh, well, uh, let me get this here. That didn't work. Uh, there we go. So we're going to talk about these four catalysts. I think there are four catalysts to helping shape the character uh, in your disciples, those that you're investing your life into. And they're really supernatural in, 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 in all aspects. And uh, we're going to just kind of look at those, and I'm going to kind of walk you through how we really help try to uh, initiate those catalysts in the life of a disciple. And then we're going to look at five what I call essential elements that I think in every single group, as you're investing in those few, uh, are needed to developing this Christ-like character. Because uh, at the end of the day, we want to help uh, in this phase right here, we want to help our disciples in their character and, and, uh, and in their competencies. All right? So... Uh, I, uh, as I was thinking about this, I uh, was reminded about a book that I just recently read called Peak. It was written by a gentleman by the name of Andrews Erickson. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an expert on what makes experts great. So I'm still trying to figure out what that's all about. Uh, but he's an academic researcher from uh, the Florida State. And, uh, and so he wrote a book on uh, things that uh, this whole idea of growth and development and, and, and what ages people peak in certain areas. And so I thought this morning we'd start off with a little bit of a quiz just to see 
how what you think as we're thinking about this. So he uh, he lists all these different things. And, and so you, you might just interact a little bit and what, see what you think. But he said, at what age do you think you peak in your ability to speak a new language? What age do you think that you peak in being able to speak a new language? Yeah? Yeah. Seven. Seven years old. Right? Seven years old. Uh, he also did some research to ask, what age do you peak in your chances of winning a Nobel Peace Prize? Forty. Forty years old. Now, I'm a little bit past that, so I got some room to make up. Uh, number three, he, he did this. He said, what age do people peak in their ability to remember faces? What age do people peak in remembering a face? Thirty-two. All right, thirty-two. Uh, what, what age do you peak in your ability to remember names? I'm way past this one. I'm, I'm double on this one right here. Uh, four, it's 22. 22, all right? Uh, when do you peak in your understanding of people's emotions? 51. Right? You're emotionally intelligent at, at, at 51. Uh, when do you peak at, uh, in your ability to run a marathon? I wish it was. 28. All right, we got any 28-year-olds out there? 28. Uh, when do you peak in your ability to, in your vocabulary? 71. I thought it was interesting. And this was the last one was, when do you peak in your happiness with your body? 74. Now, as I was thinking about these, I, I, I was mindful of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Let me read it to you real quick. It says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And as I was thinking about that, you know what Paul is basically saying is the outside is on a downhill slide, right? In fact, if you don't believe that, just look at the person next to you, all right? <laughs> just look at, look at that person right next to you. And, uh, and, and because the truth is, though, is our inward... Is, 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 is in change. It's in flux. It means it's, it's being renewed. It's growing. And, and the, here's the truth. This is the truth that I just recently uh, landed on uh, as I was doing some research that eight out of every ten people who confess to be a disciple of Jesus are deeply dissatisfied, feel like they have peaked in their ability to develop the character and the conduct of Jesus. And I don't, know, I don't believe that that's God's heart. That's not the way God designed it to be. Uh, God has a much different plan in mind. And so I, you know, I think that there's a gap, and I want to help us kind of close that gap and begin to look at what it looks like to really help develop character. So let's talk about why character really matters. I go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. I don't know if you know that verse by memory. But this is what it says. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, why is that verse so incredibly special? What makes it so different? And what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? Does it mean I've got to get a robe and move to Israel? That's not at all what it means. But what that word walk literally means, it means to make progress, to conduct one's self after the pattern of someone else. So in other words, what Jesus was 
what, what was being conveyed here is that we're to walk in the pattern that Jesus walked. So, if that's true, I believe most people dismiss the idea that they could ever walk, think, and act like Jesus did. And it's because we say, well, he's God. But I want to be, remind us that he was fully God, but what? Fully man. And I think we have somehow spent so much time studying the message of Jesus, which again is very important, but we have lost sight of looking at him as our model for life and for ministry. And if we will study his model as much as we study his message, what we'll find is that there is a lot of these elements of character that we can begin to develop with the working of the Spirit in our lives to really help us become more and more like Jesus. I challenge my disciples frequently to read the Gospels. And one of the things that I tell them as you read the Gospels, I want you to see where you see the character of Jesus on display. Because I, I, I came to find that when you do that, it will have a life-altering change. Because when you begin to study the character of Jesus and see it on display, you begin to realize that he really is a model. He really did have a pattern of, of that he was walking out. And, 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 it, and, and so what I tell my guys all the time is, look, if Jesus commands us to walk as he walks and to do as he did and to think as he thought, then wouldn't it matter that I have a really good idea of what his character really looks like? That I have a, a really good idea of how he developed that character so that I, in turn, could be doing the same thing. Because here's the deal. I think it's really easy to do the outward in a sense, and miss, though, this whole inward change. And what happens is, is when we put this above this, it leads to legalism. It leads to behavior uh, modification and not Christ-like attributes that move us to being a disciple who reflects the character and the conduct of Jesus. They have to be in balance and so what we want to really press in is, and this is why I'm just so adamant that, uh, that we've got to start pressing into those that we're pouring our lives into, the, this character development. It matters. Because if we get it out of disproportion, what we will grow are Pharisees. Mm. <laughs> Let me just say that again. If we get that out of proportion, we, we put too much emphasis on this, and not here, what we'll make are, are a lot of Pharisees. And so we want to be careful because what we're, to, we're commanded to make are disciples that reflect the character and the conduct of who? Jesus. So let me kind of pound away a little bit on this whole idea of uh, some, uh, this next idea of what are some catalysts that I have seen over the years that help to shape character. Now, how many of you out there love popcorn? Anybody like popcorn? I love popcorn. Uh, if you come to our house, you come to the Underhills house every Friday night. It's movie night and popcorn, and uh, we, we love it. And one of the things I found out is that a little kernel of, of, of corn 
actually contains a whole lot of moisture in it. And when you put that little kernel of corn into a microwave and the heat and the steam of that microwave combined with, the, uh, with that moisture that's in that little kernel, what comes out is this incredibly white, fluffy, delicious snack called popcorn. That steam serves as a catalyst. It takes what looks absolutely like nothing and turns it into something amazing that I can't get my hands off of because I love it so much, right? So what are these catalysts? What are these things that really begin to help our disciples develop character? Well, the first one is, uh, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's a, it really is a, a life saturated with the Spirit. Now, uh, go ahead and put that verse up there. Sec, this is one of my favorite verses. 1 Corinthians 3.18. It says, We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the, uh, the glory of the Lord. And it's the Spirit of the Lord does what? Works within us. We, we do what? We become more and more like Him. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. So this whole idea that uh, we want to help our disciples grasp this idea of yielding their lives to the Spirit. Uh, In fact, I would go as far as to say the key to living a victorious Christian life is found living under the control of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we work on and, and look at is this idea that Jesus himself, in his humanity, lived out every aspect of his life marked by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you just a couple things. He was conceived by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit. He was filled by by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was rejoiced in the Spirit. He performed miracles by the power of the Spirit. And it was the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead. So at the end of his life, Jesus pulls together his disciples. I don't know if you've ever picked this up, but as he pulls together his young team of guys that he's been investing in, helping them develop character and conduct, and he's been talking to them about this this helper, he says something to them in John 14 that's very profound. John 14, verse 16 says, I'm going to ask the Father, and He is going to give you another helper who will be with you, now get this, with you for what? Forever, right? Even the Spirit of truth. Now let me break that down for you, because this is really, really important. Because at first glance we might think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the truth means that the truth is, is that word helper literally means one who comes alongside. So what Jesus was saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you. But not only is he going to come alongside you, because here's the thing. When we see another, our, uh, that word another, our, our immediate assumption is that it's another of, the, of a different kind. But what Jesus was saying is it's another of the exact same thing as me. And so what Jesus was saying is that, that if they could, uh, that really that this whole idea that they, as they walked in the Spirit, it was like they were physically walking 
with Jesus. And when we saturate our lives, when we help our disciples saturate their lives in the Holy Spirit, what happens is he begins to develop characteristics and changes that only the Spirit can, can accomplish and do in us. Uh, I like to think about this. What's the difference between a rowboat and a speedboat? I talk to my disciples all the time about this, a rowboat and a speedboat. What's the difference between a rowboat and a speedboat? A speedboat. So when you're in a rowboat, you, gotta get, you have to have oars, right? And it takes a lot of effort to move the rowboat, right? A speedboat is, in, is powered by something totally different, right? It's powered by a different power source. A rowboat represents my effort to get there, whereas a speedboat represents a disciple who's relying on a, another source, the Spirit, to move him towards spiritual development. Let me, let me just come out and be very, very open and honest with you. Most of those that we're pouring our life in believe that if they will fly a little bit straighter, try a little bit harder, and do just a little bit more, they think that that's what's going to help them. And, and in all reality, this whole idea of when we, until we yield to the work of the Spirit, we cannot walk as Jesus. We cannot develop the character that needs to happen. It is a Spirit-led initiative. So what's the first catalyst? Holy Spirit. Let me give you the second one. second one is crisis. Oh, this is really good. Crisis. I love what Romans 5, 3, and 4 says. We can rejoice, too, when we run into what? Problems. Trials. For we know that they help us. Everybody say, help us. To do what? To develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strength and the confident hope of salvation. Uh, you know, the fact is, is that crisis, suffering, is to, be, is to be expected as a disciple of Jesus. But here's what happens. A lot of times, the men and women that we're pouring our lives into encounter crisis or suffering, and they see it as something negative or something that they've done, maybe done wrong, and potentially sometimes it's a result of that. But as a discipler, here's a, a, an amazing opportunity for you to use it as a teachable moment to help them understand that it is an opportunity for them to become and shape, be formed and shaped more into the image of God. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, I can't tell you enough how much crisis can help shape the character of our disciples. I love what Hebrews 5.8 says, is that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And, and, and God sees crisis as an opportunity to really help develop our character. And here's what I've, I've been learning over the years is I have to help uh, with these crisis moments, these suffering moments. I have to help my disciples understand uh, they've got to cultivate the right attitude and perspective about them. I've got to help cultivate the right attitude and perspective. Let me give you an example so uh, how many of you have ever been uh, driving behind a truck as you're going up a mountain? 
You ever been in that? And, and it's one lane coming, going up and one lane going down. And, every, and as you're sitting behind that truck and you're trying to make your way around it, you're growing more and more what? Impatient, right? Because you're like, man, I want to get to the top. I, I got to get somewhere. But that truck is kind of slowing you down, right? And, and, and so every time you're looking to make that, 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 you know, go around it, there's another car maybe coming or that corner comes around and you can't see exactly where you're going. And, and, and finally you decide, I'm just going to do it. And, and, and unfortunately, maybe sometimes you, you get out there and, and there's another car coming on the other side. We become terribly impatient. And, we, and here's the deal. As humans, we only see one dimension, right? But if, if, if you look at it from this perspective, when we view it from God's perspective, see, I, I tell my disciples all the time, God's heart is he sees from up here. He sees life from an entirely different view than I do. I only see what's ever in front of me, but God sees this. And God knows that this trial, this circumstance, this hardship in your life is, is there for a purpose and a reason. And it's going to help you and forge in you the character of Christ. But you have to trust and view it from God's point of view, not your own. Does that make sense? And I think what happens is, is when our disciples go through a crisis or a struggle, rather than using it as a defining and teachable moment, uh, we sometimes uh, miss an opportunity to help them through this process. I, I like to share with my disciples that there are like three really types of experiences that God uses in these crisis moments. The first one is what I call a crushing experience. A crushing experience. And a crushing experience it's kind of like a rose petal. What happens when you crush rose petals? Eventually, they develop a fragrance, right? Now, it doesn't look good at first, but as you begin to really crush those rose petals, what comes out of that is an amazing fragrance. And I tell my disciples all the time, as you're going through maybe these crushing experiences that are difficult and hard, but as you keep your eyes focused on Christ... Not the problem, but on Jesus, what happens is, is there begins to be this aroma that comes out of your life. But we have to be willing to work all the way through it. Most people, when they go through a difficult time, want to do what? Just the opposite. They want to jet. They want to get out of it. And we've got to help our, our disciples see that there's, there's something about staying in the game, even when it's hard and difficult. Those, those crushing experiences. The other one is a pressure experience. It's like a diamond. A diamond is a, a lump of coal, but after years and years of intense pressure, what happens? It turns into this amazing diamond. And, uh, and, and so you can, the application here is that pressure uh, can be great because it can really help us to become formed and conformed more into the image of Christ. But the one I, I, I really love to talk about is this whole idea of a refining fire. Because if you take silver, you have to refine that silver, right, to get all the impurities out. Does anybody know how they do that? They heat it up, right? They put it in. But here's the fascinating part. You put it in that fire and you refine it. Now the question is, is when do you pull it out? Well, because if you wait too long, you ruin the silver. But when you know that it's ready to be pulled out is when you can see your reflection in the silver. 
You see, again, I go back to that, that this whole idea that we can be a mirror that brightly reflects. And so, again, this whole idea of crisis. Crisis is an opportunity for your disciples, your disciples to really be shaped in the area of character. Let me give you the third catalyst. Third catalyst is the, is the Word of God. Uh, and I love what this scripture says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness so that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. You know, the scriptures were central in Jesus' life. In fact, we're told that he, uh, he, he quoted from them 80 times in 70 different places. I mean, he used the word uh, as, a, as a huge piece and so knowing the scriptures is absolutely imperative. I, I, I use this illustration a lot with my, uh, with my disciples, is that the word of God, if I will allow God's word to really shape my character, it can do great things. I, I, I kind of show them a little diagram where I say, look, God's word, according to this, it, it shows me the path I'm, I'm to walk on. It shows me the path. It shows me where I'm, my character is supposed to be lining up to. But unfortunately, sometimes when I get off that path, God's word rebukes me. It rebukes the character that's going in the wrong direction. And, and then it shows me and it corrects me how to get back on that path. And then it trains me to continue to do that. And, and, and you know, here's the truth. I know that my guys are going to be more and more. But what I want to see is that these times of getting off get further in between, but they, and they get smaller as they grow in the character of Christ. And God's word is the, the piece, a tool that helps to see that this happens along the way. But here's the idea. Most of, our, most of the people that I work with think that, man, God's, that's why I'm really trying to help them and to show them how the power of God's word can transform them inside and out. Uh, I, I have a, if you don't know much about me, but I have a, a really old Honda van. Anybody have a, a, a Honda in here? I have an extremely old Honda. Uh, and I, I admit it, I, go, I, I actually drive a, uh, a Honda Odyssey. Uh, so I've got a minivan, all right? So it's, a 90, it's, a, it's a 2004 Honda Odyssey. And, uh, and so my kids don't really ever want to ride with me, especially my teenagers, uh, but that's okay. So anyhow... <laughs> It's super old, but I want you to work with me for just a second here. Let's just say for some reason, Pastor Craig, because he so, uh, just wants to bless me, one day I wake up and he's put a brand new Honda Odyssey in my, uh, in my driveway. So I go out there and I, I'm like just in awe of this brand new, it's got the great smell. I pull and then I'm just so, so just in awe of it. I go out there and I pull out the manual that's in the Honda Odyssey. And I start to read that manual. And I'm like, man, that manual is awesome. I love it. In fact, as I'm reading it, I, I like it so much, I start to highlight it. Because, man, it's some good stuff in here. I, I, I love this manual. It's got a lot of great things in here. And, and then as I'm starting to highlight it, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to start pulling out a couple of these key words in here because some of these key words are pretty killer, and I'm going to start looking them up in the dictionary and kind of getting an idea of what they mean. And as I do that, I'm like, you know, this is so good, I think I may take Japanese so that I can figure out the original language of how this, this manual was written, because, man, it is awesome. 
Well, then I go, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to see if I can pull together a group of other people who are reading this manual and say, hey, let's get together and let's study this manual together. Let's go over it. In fact, then I even say, hey, let's sing some songs about it. And so we developed some songs about the Honda Odyssey because, man, we can't get over how amazing it is. Now, we laugh about that, but, that's, but, but there's, the, the sad truth is, is unless I'm reading the manual, the manual, God's Word, has no opportunity to work in me and through me to make the changes that it's, it says it's going to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give me, it's going to teach me the right way to walk. But when I get off, it's going to rebuke me and then correct me and get me back onto it. But I, that's never going to happen if I'm not allowing it to be center stage in my life. And that's the same thing with your disciples. Now, one of the things I, I, I just really work with on my, on my guys is I'm, and you can ask Zach, I mean, I'm, I'm really brutal on this whole idea of, of putting God's word to memory. And, uh, and, and this being a part of this whole idea, because I want them carrying God's word with them everywhere they go. That the counsel of God is always on their lips, that they can easily put it to, because I, I believe that it is a catalyst for their character development. And I, and I, I put a high emphasis on God's word and the reading of God's word on a regular basis. All right. Now, let me share with you this last catalyst. It's community. Uh, I, I think you can understand and see the value of relationships. I think Jesus understood the value of relationships. In fact, in John chapter 2, or in John chapter 3, we're told that, uh, that he and his disciples, they, they left Jerusalem and they went to the countryside and they spent time there. I mean, Jesus spent time with his disciples. And, uh, and in fact, we're told that uh, it was uh, in, in Acts 4, they said the members of the councils were so amazed because they saw the boldness of Peter and John. that They weren't as any ordinary people, but they were specially, they weren't specially trained, but they recognized them because they had been men who had been what? With Jesus. With Jesus. And, and, and Jesus understood the power of, of being together. I love what Hebrews says. says now it's considered how to stir up one another, to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, but to encourage one another. See, Jesus' strategy uh, was built around this whole idea of relationships. It was relationally driven. And if we're going to develop Christ-like character, it comes in this idea of community. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him, withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive and that power of that sin will be over him. And, and uh, I, I love to tell the story to my disciples about a young boy that was having some problems in his life. And, uh, and so he, these issues that he has going on in his life, he he talks to uh, some people in his village and they send him out to an older gentleman who lives out from the village. And so he goes out to see this man and he's talking and he's sharing all of his struggles and things and the older gentleman's not saying a word. And uh, this young boy gets really frustrated and he's like, man, I, I don't get it. I don't, why aren't you saying anything? And about that time, the older gentleman pulls out from, there, he's got a fire going and he pulls out some coals from that fire 
and, and as that man, the young boy continues to talk, that those coals get a little bit dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then all of a sudden, that older man pushes that coal back into that fire. And what happens? Those coals get red hot again. Here's the idea. You see, what the young man figured out is, is I've, I've pulled myself away from people. I need to be in the context of relationships because it's in the context of relationships that my character can be really forged to become like Christ. So we talked about four catalysts. What, the first one was the what? Holy the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit. The second one was what? Crisis. Crisis. Third one was the Word. the Word of God. And the fourth one is community. community. Now, I just, I really, I really want to um, strongly encourage you to think about how can I help put my disciples in those kinds of uh, catalytic environments that will produce Christ-like character? How can I help them interact and rely more on the Holy Spirit? Are they seeing it modeled in my own life? Uh, how am I helping them through crisis experiences? And when I go through a crisis experience, are they seeing it as an opportunity for God to forge His, His character in me? Uh, how about the Word of God? You know, is it the same thing? And then also, the, also not only the Word of God, but then the, uh, the, the community. So let me kind of give you uh, what I call six elements that build this, uh, this Christ-like character. And this is in the context of your community. Because I think these are some things as disciples we have to make sure exist within that group that help to do this. The first, the first one uh, to helping really shape this is what I like to call honest, communi- honest accountability. Honest accountability. Let me ask you a question. What difference would it make in your life if you had someone asking you the hard questions? Do you have someone in your life who looks you in the eye and asks you really the really hard questions? And not just hard questions because they, they look good, but because they really care about what's going on in your life. We talked about this even yesterday, this whole looking back. Are, is there genuine accountability happening uh, in your group? Now, I want you to catch this. Everybody look right here, please. Catch this, catch this, catch this. If we're going to have healthy accountability in our groups, it's got to start with us as disciples. We have to lead out in this area of accountability. We have to be honest with our group. When things aren't going so well, we have to say things are not going so well. Uh, My my group this last week, uh, I told you one of the big things I'm a real big proponent of is scripture memory. I did not get my scripture memory done. And I had to go to the group. And so when it came around in my turn to do the, my, my scripture memory, I was like, guys, I don't have it done. Now, they laughed and gave me a really hard time. And, uh, and, 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 and they're still texting and giving me you know, grief over the fact that the leader didn't do it. <laughs> but guess what? I, you know, I said, you know, I, I, said no, I have no excuses. I just didn't get it done. And, and so I have no lie. No lie. I have gotten a text, at least three texts, 
every day since last week from the guys in my group saying, you better come with your scripture memory done next week. <laughs> because there's this idea of honest accountability. We're, we're holding one another accountable. We're, we're talking about some of the hard things that are happening. And, and we're talking about uh, what it would look like. And, and when we talk about accountability, I talk about it in three forms. You've got to be honest with God. Are you being honest with God? Are you being honest with yourself? And are you being honest with others? Honest with God. Are you honest with yourself? And are you, are you honest with others? Here's the deal. You, you remember when we were in Cuba, Craig. Uh, so Craig and I were in Cuba a couple years ago. And uh, we were... We were at the far end of one end of the end of Cuba, and we had to get all the way down to uh, an, the other end in Guantanamo Bay, which is about a five, five and a half hour drive. We were late getting there, and what we didn't know was that our leader told the cab driver, look, they're late, and if you will get them there quicker, I will give you more money. We didn't know that, and we were in the mountains, Okay. And uh, he got us there in three and a half hours. I don't think he ever took his foot off the accelerator. All right. And so we're going down this mountainous pass. And in Cuba, I mean, like, so he would come around corners uh, and we called him El Diablo. Uh, and, And it wasn't funny at the time. But I mean, I remember we would look because there were no guardrails on these mountains. And I could we could literally see like see down the mountain. I'm on the I'm on the inside. He's on the outside, and uh, I remember one time us coming around a corner because he passed a guy going so fast. I, I there was a bus coming in the other direction. I could have reached out, rolled the window down, and taken my hand and swiped it along the side of that bus. That's how close. I mean, you remember we? Oh. <laughs> and 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 there because and here's the deal. I mean, I would have felt a little bit safer, not much, but a little bit had there been some guardrails along the way to help, but there were no guardrails. Accountability provides amazing guardrails for us uh, as, we're, as we're really uh, working at this out, and we need them. We need guardrails. We need to be held accountable in a really positive way. Now, the next one is what I call a genuine authenticity. Genuine authenticity. Everybody say, gen, say authenticity. authenticity. Yeah, the authenticity. Uh, this means we've got to be real and consistent. We've got to be the same on the outside as we are on the inside. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the fact is, is that Jesus confronted the religious leaders a lot in this area, didn't he? I mean, this is, in fact, we, we're told that Jesus called the religious leaders, hypocrites, right? Do you know what a hypocrite is? In, in Jesus' time, a hypocrite was an actor because they, they, they actually played a part and they were something that they weren't. And so what Jesus was saying is that you say one thing and you're doing something totally different. And so if we want to help foster this Christ-like character, we have to help our people develop genuine authenticity, being something that they are. Um, the man who discipled me in, uh, back in 2000, to this day, every time I talk to him at least once a month, the very first, very first question he's always asking me is, tell me what God's been 
teaching you in the last week. And if I, and he knows me, if I, and Jerry, he does the same thing, I'm sure, for you. And if I'm like making something up, or he goes, come on now. I heard you say that the last time. I mean, he, he calls us out on it. And, and, and he, 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 he's, he's right there. In fact, I remember uh, when, when I was being discipled by him. Uh, and I would show up at his house, and I wouldn't have my work accomplished or my, my work finished. And I, you know, he'd say, hey, did you, did you have time to, uh, to, you know, to eat this morning? I said, well, yes, sir, I had breakfast. He said, do you have time for lunch? Yeah, I had a great lunch. And he'd say, well, why didn't you feed your soul this morning? You had time to do And he would hold, I mean, and to this day, he's constantly asking and, and holding me to being authentic and real because he wants me to walk and develop and continue to develop the character of Christ in my life. Uh, the third one, trusted confidentiality. Now, this is where it gets really messy. When we're discipling people, character issues get really messy, don't they? They get really messy. And, uh, and so we have come to, to decide that there has to be trusted confidentiality in your group. Loose words can destroy and hurt. And, uh, and so we have to create a safe place. We, one of the things that we do in our groups is we create a covenant within our, within our group that part of that covenant states that we're going to keep everything within that group with just within our, within our circle. And, and we work really hard at creating a platform that's safe for people to share honestly about when we talk about accountability, that it's a place that they can be genuinely who they are because they know that it's a safe, trusted place when things are, are a little bit out of whack. Now, the next one is what we call private conversations. Private conversations. Uh, I... You know, I, I love this because when it gets messy, sometimes it requires that I got to get alone with my guys, the guys that I'm discipling. You know, Jesus did this with Peter. Uh, you know, Peter denies him, but then he comes back around and he has individual time with Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? But there's this personal interaction. You know, there's been many times with some of the guys I've discipled who I've had to have some very private conversations with when things have come up. I've had to go to him and say, hey, we need to have a conversation about something that was said or something that's coming up that I see that I, I'm, not, I'm not really uh, keen on. Can you help me understand what's going on? And, and we have to have these very private moments where we talk about what's happening in the context of their lives. Um, I had a guy that I was discipling that was on our staff, and he wasn't spending a lot of time in God's Word. And I had to go to him and say, look, you know, this isn't working. You you got to be in the Word of God on a more regular basis, and 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 we've had to, I've had to do the same with Zach, or I've had to do the same with Ben, and it's because you know we care, but we've got to have these private conversations. Believe it or not, Jerry had many private conversations with me. In fact, one time he said, "Hey, if you can't get this thing together, maybe it's best that you not come anymore." That's a pretty private conversation. And, and he was real and he was honest, but it was because he wanted to see me develop the character of Christ. And, and we have to be unafraid to talk to our people and have these conversations with them to help them. 
Now, the last one is what I call resolving conflict. Now, the truth is, is that uh, conflict is going to happen in your groups. And, and you're going to have conflict, with, especially if you're having private conversations, right? I, I like to always say, unity is not the absence of conflict. Uh, and, and we have to be quick. We've got to resolve them. We've got to get them. Uh, we, they become, I, I like to say they become an opportunity for God to demonstrate his character in the midst of that conflict and to help us see it resolved uh, really well. If I look at Jesus's pattern, he didn't ignore a conflict. He addressed it and, and he got it fixed. And I think those same things must happen in that, in that conflict. And so I, I, I want to encourage you that these elements are absolutely vital in, in helping to forge character in, your, in those that you're discipling. In these little groups of three to five that we've been talking about, there has to be honest accountability. There has to be genuine authenticity, trusted confidentiality. There has to be a, a venue that you can have the private conversations and resolve conflict. Now, just a couple weeks ago, uh, you, you may not, well, you probably knew that the storm blew through and it blew through uh, that all that hurricane stuff blew through Atlanta. And we thought we were going to be kind of on the back end of it. But we had a very large tree in our yard uh, break. And I'm not used to that, but broke down, smashed through our fence. Uh, and so we had to get it all cut up. And as we were getting it cut up, I, I started to look at the rings on that on that tree. And, you know, the rings tell the story of that tree, right? Because if you look at the rings... The, the, the rings are either going to be really close together or they're going to be really wide. The wider they are, what you know is the story of that tree is that was when that tree was getting a lot of nutrients. The, small, the more narrow of those rings, that tells you that, that the tree didn't get the, as much nutrients as that it needed during that season. Now, I tell my guys all the time, if we were to cut you open, what would the rings say in your heart? And, and in order for us to get down to the real rings, we've got to have healthy accountability, genuine authenticity, trusted accountability, private conversations. We've got to resolve conflict. I've got to put them in an environment where they rely on the Holy Spirit. I've got to talk to them about it. I've got to push them towards the relying of the Spirit. I've got to help them uh, see crisis, not from their perspective, but from God's perspective. I've got to help them understand that they need the Word of God as a, as a catalyst to help them develop the character of Christ. And then I have to help them understand that community, not isolation, is what's going to help them come to a point of uh, being able to build character in their lives. Okay? Any questions? That's a great question. So she's asking, hey, if you have somebody in your group who is going through a crisis experience, how do you help shape that in a real practical way? And the first thing I always do is I mourn with them. And the, the scripture is clear that we're to mourn with those who mourn. And so I'm going to empathize with them in a really big way. I'm going to walk through the, with them along the way and help them mourn that situation and to help them understand that I love them, I care about them, uh, and so we're mourning together. Mm-hmm. 
through that, through that experience. But as, as we're working through that, I'm going to begin to drop these ideas of how, and I'm going to be asking a lot of dialogue and engaging in conversation. Tell me what you're thinking as you're walking through this experience. Let me give you just a firsthand. So uh, back in, in uh, 2002, uh, we lost a, we lost a, a, one of our we lost a daughter in childbirth, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a really difficult experience. Mm-hmm. It was crushing, and Jerry was with us that whole way through, at the hospital. I mean, he was right at our side, and he walked and mourned with us and everything. But uh, as we were coming out of out of that experience, one of the first questions he asked me. And, and then he started to really kind of press into me was to say, everything, Glenn, that comes in your life, good or bad, is an opportunity for you to trust God more. So how's that going to work out in your life? Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that. Let's dialogue about that. And so as we became more ready to talk and have conversation, he began to kick open that door more and more because he wanted me to see it as an opportunity that this was a chance for me to trust God even though I don't understand it and don't like it and it's painful and I don't want to go through it again, are you going to come out on the better side of trusting God in the midst of this rather than turning your back and becoming bitter? So mourn with them and then I dialogue with them. I ask them a lot of questions. I try to help, you know, just kind of I'm sensitive, I'm empathetic to their heart and seeing where they're at, but then I'm constantly kind of pressing in and helping them and to think about these questions. I don't know if that helps, but... But I, I, I want to do it real life with them because I'm, I'm walking with them mm-hmm. in good and bad. Yeah. I, know, I know character building isn't glamorous. It's really hard work. Mm-hmm. And I told Craig, thanks for letting me do the one on, uh, on character. But it, it, I, I, I don't want to diminish it because we're called to help our disciples have the character and the conduct of Jesus. Not just the conduct, but, but the character as well. Any other questions? That was a great one. All right. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't want to monopolize the question and answer period standpoint. Yeah. What do you do to help resolve this kind of conflict? So let me share with you. So she's asking, hey, when, when you're in a group, and there's a conflict, she, everybody was, you know, they're trying to have a great conversation. Somebody says something, somebody else in the group reacts to it and kind of comes down on the other person and there creates a conflict. So let me give you a perfect example of something that happened in my group recently. So, and it's along the same line. So I have two guys that both have A-type personalities and they're not afraid to share what they think or, or what they feel. And so there, there's constant conflict in our group because they say things at each other and it creates mm-hmm. tension and then it creates tension in the group. Mm-hmm. So uh, one, I call it out when I see it right away in the group. I just say, hey, you know, we're getting we're getting to a point where this could, you know, we, we could really be hurting one another. I'm going to call you guys to talk about that uh, on on outside the group together. Then I as a disciple, I make sure so like these guys had a real big conflict one night when I was gone. So then I found out about it because I'm getting a text about it from all my guys. Hey, they blew up. They had a words. 
So I get on the phone and I call them both and I say, meet me for breakfast tomorrow morning and don't be late, both of you. And so they both show up and I say, we're not leaving this restaurant until we get this thing worked out. And, and, and then what I, what I, cause I, I, I want them to know we're going to resolve conflict right away. We're not going to let it go under the table. And then I ask each of them to share, hey, what, from your perspective, what happened? And I say to the other guy, you cannot speak until that guy has his chance to talk. And then I want you to repeat what you heard him say. And then I have the other guy share his. And then we, we work it until we are all clear on what the problem is. And then we develop a solution together. Because a lot of times people don't know how to resolve conflict because they've never been shown how to resolve conflict. And in church, that yeah. happens all the time. Uh, hey, Matthew 18, go resolve the conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, you say that and nobody does it because they don't know how to do it and they're afraid of it. And so you've got to really help them sure. to do that and to lead out in that. So that's, that is the way I would address a situation like that. I'd just take it head on mm-hmm. and I'd call it for what it is and say, hey, look, we want to create a safe place. But if we, you know, we can't have a safe place, we're going to have conflict, yeah. but we can't have it if you're not going to look together to resolve this issue together and I'm, we're not leaving here until we get this thing worked out yeah. because you're leaving is just running away and your attitude is is destructive and that's not God's heart right that's very helpful or, or you can only have one type A person <laughs> <laughs> that's right you know disciple making gets it can get really really messy but it I, I'm telling you for every mess we had conflict in our group. We, you know, I know that you've had conflict in your, it just, it happens. Here's, here's what I found. When you are discipling people, I have watched, and I say it to my groups up front all the time. The moment you walk into this experience, just count on conflict, crisis, or something. Because the enemy wants nothing of this. It's, it's spiritual warfare at, at, its, at its best. And so... You're walking into with a, with a target to, to agree because the enemy knows it's where transformation is going to happen. These guys' lives and gals' lives are going to get changed mm-hmm. because they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're working on becoming more like Jesus with his character and his conduct. And that's the last thing that they want to happen. So you have these explosive situations and you just use the word as a... As a and again, you can use the word as a catalyst to help mm-hmm. move people towards where you want them to be. So in, that's a great one because that happens a lot because we try to. A lot more yeah. So what I, I typically do in a situation like that is that's where I have private conversations. Mm-hmm. I'll pull someone inside and say, hey, you know, you've had a tendency to say some pretty. It's kind of funny, but I, I want you to know that the person that you're saying, it, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. It, and I, I, as I watched it, I saw it. So can you I need you to go to them because you may not know it. Would you go to Frank and say to Frank, hey, I, I said something that I think hurt your feelings. Would you please forgive me? Uh, I, I, so here's the deal. I jump on stuff right away. I do not let things. The moment I see it, I'm on it. Because I've found that if I let it go as the leader, mm-hmm. it's only going to perpetuate itself uh, into becoming poison. <laughs> and so you've got to get on it quick. Mm-hmm. And, and sarcasm is one of those deals where I, I tell them all the time, we have to be very careful because as guys, we love to use sarcasm uh, to address and to make things light, but it ends up sometimes being very detrimental. All right. Thank you. 
And uh, Craig, you want to say anything? Yeah. Hey, let's thank Glenn for doing a great job. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few. You can get it at discipleship.org slash disciple first. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources there as well at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.